That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, Jake, we are here to talk about the Ten Commandments, to talk about Jesus evicting some people from the temple complex in Jerusalem, really mm. losing his cool, some civil mm-hmm. unrest. But before we get into that, uh, happy March, almost. This is this absolutely. Is, this is a, uh, you know, uh, springtime, that time of year when a young man's fancy turns to love. The rabbits <laughs> start to come out in Central Park. Hopefully, vaccine distribution will be expanded even further and around the world. And did you see that amazing? Uh, I think it's a Saturday Night Live uh, uh, sketch, but it's like uh, it was for Valentine's Day, and it was like. Give her what she wants this year more than anything. Yeah. A vaccine. That's so right. anyway, but uh, hopefully we can uh, give those all out. And, um, you know, and the zombie apocalypse will not have started. So who knows? Fingers but crossed. I'm, I am looking forward to uh, getting out of here and uh, getting out of this COVID and getting back to a little normalcy. That's right. Then we can complain about other things. So, so yeah, I third love Sunday the in collect. Lent. Yeah. The collect is amazing. And, uh, you know, and right now, by this time, dear uh, listener, your parish is probably, uh, they've all probably uh, 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 fudged on their Lenten discipline, you know, and uh, just to be reminded that uh, we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. Uh, this is what the gospel and what makes Christianity unique is summed up in that very statement. If I could help myself in a little, even in a little bit, then Christ died for no purpose, as St. Paul would say. Ew. So um, it, then you have in the collect here this, uh, this powerful breaking down of the compartmentalization that we so often do in life. Keep us both outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls. So we think it's just sometimes just about the outward you know, we forget about the inward. And, uh, and really, um, it is the, the inward that then begins to transform and affect the outward. And uh, that is what Christ has come to do, is to save us uh, from all of those assaults to the soul. This collect is so subversive and sneaky. I love it so much. And every time we get to Lent 3 and we pray this, I'm like, ooh, does everybody know what I'm getting them to say? Because they say <laughs> we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves, which is the opposite of most life coaches. It's the opposite. Take that, of, Oprah. <laughs> yes, yeah, the opposite of sort of the God helps those who help themselves American way of thinking about Christianity, which is completely unbiblical. Uh, and this says, with Jeremiah, with King David, with Jesus Christ, with St. Paul, we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'm reminded of when Jesus finishes preaching the Sermon on the Mount and finishes up with that mic drop statement, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And Peter says, well, how are we supposed to do that? And uh, <laughs> Jesus says, uh, you're exactly, ding, 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 Peter, you've hit the nose, hit the, hit the nail right on the head. 
and uh, with with God, it's impossible. Or with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible, which is way of Jesus saying, you can't do it. God has to do it in you, which is why this prayer begins with this complete devastation of your ego, lays waste to your projects of self-improvement and your illusions of any sort of agency whatsoever to make yourself a better person. And, and as you say, we have no power, not some power, not a little bit of power. We have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. Mm. And then you ask God, God, keep us, meaning protect us, yeah, save us, do right. it, keep us outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls. As you said, Jake, the whole, the whole person uh, and mm-hmm. that, that we would be uh, protected. I mean, it's an amazing so- prayer. And it is very powerful that that prayer comes and then the opening reading. So let me walk through the readings really quick. Is Exodus chapter 20 verses 1 through 17, the Ten Commandments. Because isn't that our ladder to get to God, Aaron? <laughs> we'll talk about that in just a Step sec. One. And Step then um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 18 through 25. And uh, where Paul describes what same old song is all about, foolishness, and uh, to the world. And, uh, and then we have John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. Uh, Jesus stirring it up, stirring up the pot. Like so, Bob but Marley. We come, we come up to Exodus chapter 20, and uh, this is the Ten Commandments. And what an appropriate reading for the middle of the season of Lent. Uh, 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 but so often uh, we've misunderstood the Ten Commandments. We think that they are there for us to really do it and get it done with. But what what is the real purpose of the Ten Commandments, Aaron? Uh, especially to, in light of the collect, it's to it's to provide a fitting text for plaques outside of courthouses in the United <laughs> States of America. Uh, for the record, I'm for getting rid of all of them. Yeah. So because they are there, they're they're advertisements. Uh, for um, for uh, uh, what's his name, um, the the gun guy uh, who played Moses, Charlton um, Heston. Yeah, he's uh, the <laughs> Charlton Heston. You know, he was a member of the Loyal Order of uh, Eagles and a couple of other lodges, and they all chipped in, and they were all. Um, they were all originally movie advertisements They uh, for uh, the Ten Commandments. Look on the back of all of your like small-town church squares and stuff like that that have the Ten Commandments. It's put there by the Loyal Order of the Eagles or some other Loyal Order of this. But uh, it is not uh, this... Yeah, sorry, you got me off on a tangent, Aaron. And I, just <laughs> I love get really... it. I love it. When Jake's like, ooh, I've got a little hobby horse I'd like to ride for a little while. Uh, so the the thing here, the, re- the, the actual point of the Ten Commandments, or the reason why you read it in Lent, is to do two things. One, to hold up God's holy and perfect law. We, as you know, we talk a lot about grace, and sometimes we might get accused at Mockingbird and at Samuel Song of being sort of, you know, weak on sanctification, like we don't care about the law. No, we hold it to its highest possible extent, as, uh, and that's why we believe that it should be read. And it is the um, standard for how a human being should live. If a human being mm-hmm. did all the things in Ten Commandments, it would be amazing. It'd be a beautiful life. But the other we part don't. of why we read this, <laughs> yeah, is, is, is to show us exactly that. And I always, mm-hmm. I'm always amazed when you say, like... Uh, to people, how, how do you get into heaven? Or, you know, if you hear people say, like, they say, well, you live a good life. And I say, well, what's a good life? Well, yeah, I, you know, I follow the Ten Commandments. And it's like, clearly you haven't read them. Because there are some <laughs> that are at the end here, which are kind of the quote-unquote easy ones, which there are probably a lot of people that have not violated the letter of the law on these parts of the commandments. The people who, there are people that have not actually committed adultery. There are people who have not actually committed murder. There are people who have not actually stolen anything, you know, t- 
taken a silver spoon from somebody's house. Uh, there are people who, for the most part, have not borne false witness. They've not lied about a neighbor in a court proceeding or something like that. And then you get to the last one, don't covet your neighbor's house, neighbor's wife, neighbor's slave, ox or donkey. You're like, I've never coveted an ox, so I'm good. But you've forgotten <laughs> like all the things at the beginning. If you say, I, I keep the Ten Commandments, it's like, well, go back and read them. Because it's not like the impossible ones come at the end. The impossible ones come at the beginning, which yeah. is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Uh, or and basically to put him first, and, and that you shall have no other gods before me. That's the impossible one because everybody worships all the time, and usually we're not worshiping God. We're worshiping ourselves. We're worshiping money. We're worshiping public opinion. All those other things are what we're worshiping. Mm-hmm. And this is this is the hard the hard thing. Um, everything well, else kind of flows from it. And I love it. So like. Uh, Clearly, if you say you've kept the Ten Commandments, you haven't read what James had to say about it, and that is if you break one of them, you're guilty of breaking them all. And you also haven't read uh, what Jesus uh, says about them, which is if you commit lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. If you've been angry in your heart, you've already committed murder. So he takes it it up. Yeah, they take it right up. The, The New Testament actually takes it right up to its highest pitch. And as St. Augustine says, he tells us what the real meaning of the law is, is that God demands from us what we cannot do so that we might know what to seek from him. Mm. Um, you know, uh, when, when the law is understood at its fullest pitch, it leaves you uh, understanding that uh, no power in ourselves to help ourselves. Uh, you and I need a savior. And this is, where, um, this is where the gospel now can begin to be preached when you understand the means of the law. And the first part of it is, is that uh, God makes a decision about you before you ever made one about him. Mm. You know, uh, he says, I am the Lord, your God. That is good news. Um, you know, it's not like you're my God and I will, like one of those cheesy, you know, uh, worship songs. Oh God, you I think they're quoting the song. God. But they're quoting the psalm, so I guess that's fine. But anyway, but uh, the, the point is, is that, you know, it's not about us saying you're my God. But before God ever made a decision about you, he says, I'm your God. Or before you ever made a decision about God, he says, I'm your God. The other thing about the commandments is it's not just about the negative. So it's not just that you shall not murder, but you should desire uh, the flourishing of people. You know, you shall, you know, uh, f- the flourishing of all life. You shall not commit adultery. You should actually want marriages to thrive. You shall not steal, but you want the prosperity of your neighbor. Bear false witness. It's not just about not lying and keeping your mouth shut, but speaking good and kindly of people. And just another plug for story makers. Uh, they have a whole new children's program coming out about the Ten Commandments Woo! that you're going to want to get your hands on. So uh, um, check it out, Storymakers NYC. So. Uh, but that's but that's really what it's about. And so you begin to see that there's no health within us. God's made a decision, though, about you in all of your unhealthiness. And that three, uh, when that's understood, then this becomes a description of our lives by which it's not about just not doing something, but the positive in wanting to see all of God's creation actually flourish. Mm. And so we come now to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is St. Paul writing a letter to a church that was off its rocker. Jake wants to say something. I'll allow it. Jake, you have the floor. Yeah, no, no. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, but so are you saying we don't have to do nothing? You know, like this is, uh, well, here we come to the foolishness. But That's it's right. only foolishness to those who are perishing. That's all I want to say, just like St. Paul would say. Yeah, the uh, this is St. Paul uh 
talking about foolishness. Um, and by the way, this uh, whenever whenever I hear the word fool or foolishness, I think of Mr. T. I do and too. Mr. T just had the most amazing tweet on Valentine's Day, where he said, "I didn't know this. I guess Mr. T must be a Christian." He and he posted. He's definitely something a about, Christian. I mean, anybody with that much gold around their neck has got to be held up by the Lord because that is heavy. <laughs> So, well, with Jesus, the burden's always light, baby. That's right. And so, Mr. T said, I wish everybody happy Valentine's Day, but not like false or fleeting love, but real love like John 3.16. And I was like, what, Mr. T? Preach it, brother. So, anyways, I pity the fool. That's right. I pity the fool who doesn't know the love of God. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. Paul is writing to a group of Christians in the city of Corinth, which is on an isthmus a really tiny strip of land between two big bodies of water. There was a man-made canal that they would... Actually, not a cow's. It was like a groove in the ground that they could drag mm. ships across to get from one body of water to the other. It was a really wealthy city, very metropolitan city, very cosmopolitan city, multilinguistic, multicultural, multi-religious, multi-ethnic, all of that stuff. And most Dear of listener, this, this is called filler. No, yeah. just- no, no, no. I'm saying... <laughs> This it was a it was a yeah, culture no, that good. had a lot of different religious beliefs going around and had a real kind of worship of pleasure and carnal delights and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, it was the world we're living in now. It was all about love, um, uh, improving yourself, and uh, and uh, seeking like a special knowledge. You know, the yeah. um, all sorts of. I mean, but it looked like American religion, which is why people after Paul went and planted this church there, people got. Um, uh, and by the way, I do agree with you, Jake, a little bit. This is some filler. Don't preach a lot about this, people, because you will bore <laughs> them to tears. But it does matter in that Paul is answering an accusation. He was accused of not being cool enough yeah. because all these traveling preachers and philosophers would come through with their TED Talks, and everybody would ooh and ah, and it was amazing, and the VIP people got the meet and greet. And then Paul comes through looking essentially like Danny DeVito, and he's not I bet you impressive. he had, like, notes. He had yeah. notes. He was like... He was like uh, I, I think of Rick Moranis, basically, um, in Ghostbusters. Like, he's about that smooth. And, I need um, a music stand <laughs> for my notes. So Paul comes, and, he, and people are just not impressed. Yet he does plant a church, and, and then people came on, and they're like, you're going to listen to that fool, Paul? And so Paul is basically saying... Yeah, I know the message is foolishness, even though because Paul was educated in all the philosophies of the day, he knew the mm-hmm. he knew the times in which he lived, um, and he he's he's saying that Jesus Christ is something different. And again, so if the first passage people heard read this Sunday, it's the law, and it clearly presents what the law is and says you have to do it, and if you do it, things will go great, and if you don't, things will go terrible. And this is um, kind of the foundation of the Jewish understanding. And then and there's a, a Greek and a Platonic yeah, one, too. Yeah, yeah. And no. so the Greek system is like, they don't have the Ten Commandments, but they're going to have other sort of philosophies of how to live. And they tend to, ex- like, if you, are, if you are a Stoic, or if you are an Epicurean, or if you are some kind of Gnostic, or if, if you're a Manichaean, whatever these different philosophies were in Paul's day... If you believe them, you would feel sort of special and highfalutin, like you understand things that other people don't understand. And so Paul says, in, to both these systems, I come preaching a message that, yes, it sounds like foolishness, but it is actually the power of God. It's down, it sounds like 
foolishness to the Greeks who like these complicated intellectual systems and their Plato and their Socrates and their Sophocles and their Aristotle and all that. And it sounds like um, uh, to to the Jews it's a stumbling block, he says, because it's this it's this system that it's apparently not based on your obedience to the law. Mm-hmm. And he says, this is a new thing that I'm talking about, which is the answer to the human condition, because whatever other system we're trying to follow will not be able to do it very well, and it will ultimately leave you hollow and empty. And so this is um, a system that's based on the ego, a system that's based on self and self-performance will leave you hollow because you'll be unable to do it. And so yeah. Jesus Christ comes with the foolishness of the cross. And Paul has this amazing statement that God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. God's weakness is stronger than human strength. If you need an example, watch Ted Lasso. That's all I have to say. And uh, he says, uh, you know, and I love how he roots it because a lot of people were saying that Paul was not preaching, was Paul was preaching a new religion. And yeah. so, because, I mean, the Ten Commandments, we got to do the Ten Commandments, you know? And so... Um, it's it's Jesus plus. That's simply the message of the super apostles that Paul's fighting here. Jesus plus something, and uh, and he quotes it and he roots his argument in Isaiah, uh, for it is written, "I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart." Uh, this is just that crazy, and then he begins to pick apart literally everything that everybody's appealing to there in Corinth. You know, where's the one who's wise? Where's the scribe, the guy who's mastered it all? Where's the debate? of the sage has God has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world I mean it's just uh, this amazing thing in that uh, through wisdom God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation you know he's not coming with a traveling show he's not coming with laser beams or a smoke machine or anything like that he is coming with the foolishness of a sermon to save those who believe. I mean, if you have ever doubted the importance of your ministry when you are preaching the cross, uh, don't doubt it anymore because God is working right through your foolishness. Yeah. And so, and if you've ever been like, am I going to talk about the cross again? I remember, uh, I remember Rod Rosenblatt one time. I was like, I mean, really, we just preached the cross again? And he's like, that's going to happen all the time. It's going to run through your mind and just let that dog hunt. <laughs> and uh, it, indeed, let that dog hunt, you know? Uh, and this, like Jews demand a sign and Greeks desire wisdom. So like, you know, you see this with the Pharisees. Prove us. Give us a sign. Feed us again 5,000 people. You know, like all of these things. You know, give us another sign. And like, like, well, how does this all flush out? Surely we don't have to do anything. And he's just like, no. No, man, this is the message. I've been um, talking with some people about preaching in the uh, preaching during the in the pandemic, and how does our preaching need to change? Nonsense. <laughs> like your preaching shouldn't change in pandemic. Um, you know, sure, you might have a few different illustrations, but uh, people are still dealing with their crap. And yeah. so we pro- and and the balm on that crap, whether it's in a pandemic or not, is Christ and Him crucified a stumbling block to those who are always looking for signs and foolishness to those who are always looking for some sort of, you know, life tips and wisdom. But to those who are called both Jew and Greek, man, it is the power of God because it says uh, you are powerless as the colic says to help yourself. And so here is one who has come not just to help you, God, save us from more help, but to come and save you. Yeah, that's right. And I think the... uh the only person who needs to change their preaching during the pandemic is somebody who wasn't preaching the gospel before, and yeah, now they change should your start. Preaching. Yeah, then in that case you should. But I mean, the thing that people forget: life was terrible before the pandemic too, in different yes. ways. 
People had financial stress. People weren't sleeping. Like, we were already, as Brene Brown says, the most addicted, overweight, anxious cohort in human history. We were already that pre-pandemic. So if you weren't preaching balm in Gilead before the pandemic, well, please definitely start now because the problems have not gotten – like, it's still the same just with extra difficulty. So, I know. Seriously. I mean, anyways – yeah, we digress. But I well, mean, but anybody. I, one, there was some, the thing. By the way, if somebody needs me to connect the dots on Ted Lasso here, this is that show on Apple TV, which yes. is the only reason to own a TV right now. It is amazing, and he shows up, played by Jason Sudeikis, this American American football coach, to coach an English soccer team. And in his first press conference, says, "You could fill two internets with what I don't know about soccer." And uh, he basically he's he's acknowledging his own foolishness. He then goes into the situation where everybody thinks they know better than him, and he continues to love people, to give away power, um, and in that, you know, is something of a Christ figure, and forgives people who uh, hurt him, he doesn't hold grudges, he, he's, he's this picture of sort of a holy fool, and in that is completely transformative of that whole organization. Uh, so, again... Uh, that's why I say, that, you know, if you need an example of what f- worldly foolishness looks like, but actually is the wisdom of God, um, that's that's kind of where it is, for mm. me right now at least. That's really good. Um, yeah. Great. So, should we go on to John Capitulo? Yeah, why not? Why not? So, okay. John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22, Jesus speaking truth to power. So. That's right. Now, this is, so John, this is, again, John chapter 2. So, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry in John. And John, unlike the synoptic gospels, uh-huh. meaning he places the one that, right at the beginning. synoptic, sin, S-Y-N, same, optic, I, like the ones that look at Jesus with sort of the same lens, sort of. I mean, Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell the story with a similar timeline and all that sort of stuff. John is a bird unto himself. He mm-hmm. has Jesus going to Jerusalem three times as opposed to once. So this is one of the first times Jesus goes to Jerusalem in John's Gospel, and it's early in Jesus' ministry. And Jesus goes up to Jerusalem, as a good Jewish person would for the Passover. Like, that's where you yeah. go. So, But he, he, does, he does in this moment something very, very foolish. Yes, <laughs> Paul he would say. finds... In the, so the temple, like, the reason they're selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the reason they're money changers is because when you go to worship at the temple you are going to sacrifice an animal. The idea of just going to church to hear a sermon would have been foreign. That's what the synagogue was for, but actual worship, it always involves sacrifice. And so you go to the temple, and the priest's job is to serve as a butcher. There was a giant grilling station in mm-hmm. this, like right outside the Holy of Holies, and you would bring an animal, the priest would slaughter it, and uh, rivers of blood would flow, and this thing would be burned up on the altar. And, and you get your lamb well done. Yeah, so. that's right. That's right. You don't leave the blood in it. No rare steak in <laughs> Jerusalem. So in the temple, there's people selling cattle, sheep, and doves. And what's probably happening is that these weren't cattle, sheep, and doves without blemish. Like, that was the commandment in Leviticus. These had to be perfect animals, not just like the petting zoo sad creatures you see. At, you know, Like, these had to be perfect creatures. Yeah. Not rescue sheep, but like without blemish. And yeah. they're ripping people off big time right. because you couldn't just because they had made the temple so holy that it couldn't take regular money. It had to take uh, special temple money and the exchange rates were through the roof. So a yep. person who might be able to afford a sh- uh, like a, a sheep now couldn't. He had to buy a dove. It was just, you know, and so it was a huge uh, it was a huge pyramid scheme. Um, 
and it was it was just absolutely terrible. Like what was you know going when you on. you pay yourself, you ever look at your cell phone bill? You're like, I thought this plan was fifty bucks a month, and you're like, what? <laughs> what is this fee? There's like the alien UFO interference fee. There's like the using numbers on my phone tax. Like there's all these random fees that get, and and yeah. that was what was going on with the temple because as you said, Jake. People were coming from all over the known world. I mean, there were Jews in Syria. It was there the were diaspora, Jews in Egypt. Yeah. yeah, and so they'd come with their, with their pesos and their euros and their uh, whatevers, mm-hmm. their Kazakh tenge, and they'd have to um, uh, have to exchange it. Let's not forget Central Asia, Jake. Yeah, that's so, right. So yeah, they'd have to exchange it, and the exchange rate was was awful. And so these were, and and it was all controlled by the temple complex. And these mm-hmm. were people making money off of the backs of folks who wanted to worship God and do the right thing. And so Jesus gets there and gets indignant, and he. I love this. This is this is premeditated for the record because he makes it says. It's not like he just was like, ah! Have you ever made a whip of cords? It takes a while. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of braiding. Son of a, I'm going to just crack (laughs) that guy in the head. And And I love it that he makes a whip of cords. Like, he didn't, he, you know, he, um... He could have just picked up like a stick or something. A stick? No, he's like making something. Yeah. <laughs> he's gonna crank some fools, and there's like totally sinless. But anyway, uh, he's you know <laughs> makes this, and then he begins to drive them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle too. Because why? As you pointed out earlier, uh, they probably had blemish, and so um, and you know missing an eye or something like that, and so and then overturning their temples and all of this, um, and he says. Stop making this place, my father's house, into a marketplace. <clears throat> yeah. Jesus here, I, it's such a fascinating picture of Christ and of God, uh, because Christ is God incarnate. Uh, just to think about God getting angry at people being taken advantage of, God getting mm-hmm. angry of at religious hypocrisy. Uh, mm-hmm. And just violently so. I mean, he's like, he's creating a major civil disturbance. This is not law and order here at all. This is, um, I mean, he's, yeah, he's, this is like going into the store, picking up the cash register and dumping it out on the floor because you don't like what they're selling. Um, But this is a foolish act. This is a foolish act connecting it to 1 Corinthians. And you immediately see the money changer say to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? Yeah, show us your ID. what are by what authority are you doing this? And uh, and here Jesus uh, turns the tables on everything. And anybody who wants a third temple just needs to read this uh, scripture a little carefully. Um, you know, there's all this talk about the third temple, and it's it's that's bad idea. Yeah, there's a uh, because, of Christian Zionists who, in partnership with Israel, uh, want to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, which was destroyed mm-hmm. in 70 A.D. by a Roman mm-hmm. general. And if you go to this place now in Israel, you can see they've already started building some of the lampstands and the furniture it's and the stuff terrible that, yeah i mean people really mm. and there are a lot of people that think uh and we're excited in the last presidential administration about the embassy moving to jerusalem and it's all part of this that people think yeah. we need to rebuild the temple before jesus comes l- back because they don't read revelation correctly and they need to go to seminary or read a book or you know hear us talk about it but uh, yeah that's like, right and i literally saw this when i was there i mean just the profound disrespect that takes place up there on uh, uh, around the mosque, Al-Aqsar Mosque, and things like that, because people are planning, there is a group of folks that are planning to try and take that sucker down and rebuild a third temple. But yeah. Jesus makes the point here in John's gospel, and this is one of also the points in Matthew's gospel, is that Jesus is the new temple. 
You know, Jesus and he is says the temple. That, he is the temple. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. We don't and need the old like, one. Yeah, and they're like, and the temple that they're talking about, remember, is the second temple too. I mean, it's just a tragedy compared to the first one. And so that, but the temple has been under construction for forty-six years, and you're going to raise it, it up in three days. And it was built by Herod the Great after <laughs> the glory of the Lord had already departed from the departed temple in Ezekiel's <laughs> days. So this is just sort of a fake temple, anyways. And built where does by it a go? Really the, corrupt guy. And where does the glory of the Lord go in Ezekiel's day? It goes outside the city of Jerusalem on top of a hill. Ooh. And so here you have the new temple being crucified, the glory of God crucified outside of a hill. I mean, it's all interconnected here, but he's talking about himself. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. And Jesus is that temple. He is the chief cornerstone of the whole thing. And if you look, if you ever go to Israel where the temple was and you see these giant cornerstones, these arches, and they're held together by these cornerstones. I mean, that is the powerful thing that he is the cornerstone of it and that the prophets point to him and the apostles point back to him. And you and I now are living stones as the body of Christ, as the new temple, that we're the living stones that are built with this where the Holy Spirit is pleased to dwell. And uh, so, you know, in Lent, while um, all of our, our sanctification by the third week may be looking really low, um, you are part of this temple where the Holy Spirit is pleased to dwell. Yeah. And the thing, you know, the thing that's wonderful about this passage is that the presence of the money changers, the presence of the people selling these animals, the, this was all part of a system that in some respects made it harder for people to get to God. And Jesus's ministry is about... God coming uh, to you. God coming to you. God opening the door to you. God making, uh, you know, as the hymn says, there's a wideness in God's mercy. God's mm. not making the door as small as possible so f as few as possible people get in. God is um, opening this t not only to Jews but to Gentiles, uh, not only to the free but to the slave, not only to the men and people in power in those days but to women and the outcasts and all that. Like God, Jesus Christ is God coming to us and making the way possible. So, so this is an example of him doing, like showing to his disciples and everybody who would have seen this, like, let's get rid of these things that have erected these barriers to people coming to God. And, and ultimately, again, Jesus in his once and for all sacrifice of himself outside mm, the temple the Lord. Uh, undermines that whole system. It just, it doesn't need to come back. And again, so dear Christians, don't work or give money towards the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem because God has already completed everything he needs to complete. God mm -hmm. does, as God says to the, I mean, this is old, old, old in the Psalms. God's in, in the in other parts of the Old Testament. Do I need? Do I get hungry that I need you to feed me with, with <laughs> yeah. cheeseburgers? Do I? Do, you know? Do I need your bulls and your calves and all this sorts of stuff? Like I don't like this is again people miss the point. And this is and this is why uh, when Jesus uh, is crucified, the veil is torn from the top to the bottom, not so you can go to God, but because God has broken down all of these barriers so that He can come to you. And uh, when He's coming to you, absolutely nothing—not money changers, uh, not uh, temple currency, not uh, uh, a blemished animal, not even your sin can keep Him away from you. Or your failed Lenten discipline. So make sure yep. you preach a good word to these people on this third Sunday in Lent, and uh, get get happy because Jesus gets angry at people who try to make it hard to get to God. So make sure yep. you preach a message of grace to these folks. Amen. Praise the Lord. Somebody's looking, somebody 
Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.